This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Stephen Asma. Welcome to Chinwag. Hello, Paul Giamatti. Good to see you, my friend. Nice to see you, sir. Always a pleasure. Welcome to Le Chinwag. This is a good one tonight. Steve and I are flying solo or flying, <laughs> That's right. flying duo or whatever we say. <laughs> We're going to be talking cryptids today. Cryptids. Cryptozoology. Now, you know, before, yeah, we, before, before we yeah. get into this, yes, Professor, will you define cryptozoology or cryptid for me. Yeah, good, because we're going to talk about specific cases, but some people may not know what cryptozoology is, and uh, it basically is the study of creatures that may or may not be real. So there's mm -hmm. sort of obvious ones like uh, the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot, but there's a ton of stuff that we thought did not exist, and then it turned out to be discovered and it was real and we put it in the natural classification and now there's a science of it. So it's it's pretty fun territory because it's not all craziness. It's also got the potential of really discovering new life forms. So uh -huh. those new life forms are called cryptids, IDS, cryptids. Which is a heretofore uh, hypothesized creature or? Yeah, undescribed. Uh-huh. Uh, undescribed from a scientific nomenclature. I think okay. is the way to, and, to and think. And as you say, things like the Sasquatch and uh, various sort of lake monsters, the Chupacabra, things like that. Yeah, and, Chupacabra. And Steve and I are, are keeping, it, keeping it all American, too, actually. That's right. Which is, which today, we're, and we're talking American cryptids. American cryptid. That's a good title <laughs> for something. It's a good good book title it really is it's strong every state has a has some kind of cryptids um and it's kind of fun to see what the regional creatures that's right are. and i'm sure that within each state there's probably you know different counties and towns probably have their own things totally but what we kind of what we kind of tried to 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 ferret out were the sort of more famous ones of each state um so we, we're going to cover maybe i don't know Two or maybe several. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll, see how we'll see how drunk I actually ten. am tonight. <laughs> and uh, we'll see how, how far I actually go. But I'm going to kick it off. Do it, I'm going to kick it off, Steve. And I'm going to take us into the dark primeval forests of the great <laughs> state of Maine. Maine. Uh, the state of Maine, which is dear to my heart. I have a lot of family from Maine, which is one of the reasons oh, really? I think. I, yeah, I got a lot of deep Maine roots, Steve. And... Uh, 
up there in the tremendous state of Maine, there's a creature that wanders the dark primeval forests <laughs> known as the Ambajagius giant, Steve, named for Lake Ambajagius or Jumbo or Old Moxie. But we, we may be familiar with this as the specter moose of the great the specter, state of Maine. <laughs> the specter moose. <laughs> the specter moose. I've heard of none of these creatures, by no, the way. No, I've not awesome. either. I've not heard of the specter moose. 30,000 moose, I think it's estimated, live in the state of Maine or thereabouts. Is that right? Yes, and maybe in that kind of greater New England area, because they're all over New England, which I discovered in reading about this, and they're all over the place. And uh, But there's only one. Specter moose, I think, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, it's, it's not a, a species. It's a one, it's a well, single. Well, hang on. Oh, don't get right. ahead I'll of yourself okay, here, Steve. Right, don't get ahead me. of me. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take us back in a little time travel here on the Chinwag. Please. Dateline, Bangor, Maine. January 8th, 1938. Special to the New York Times. For more than a generation, Maine has had a, quote, specter moose. As I'm reading you an actual report. Fantastic. There was one 36 years ago, another in 1917, still another in 1932, and now he is stalking again in a branch of the Penobscot River. Hunters get near enough to be appalled by this gigantic beast, but seldom within range for an effective shot. In the accumulating lore of the forest, he is described as 10 to 15 feet high. That's big. Oh, my. Yeah, now I'm not, I'm not sure how big a moose is anyway, but that sounds big. He is, That's quote, dirty white in moose. color and he brandishes immense antlers. Not only his ghostly hue, but also his keen scent, acute hearing, and seemingly magical power of instant disappearance have <laughs> built up the legend of this race. The skeptics say there ain't no such critter. They're, they're doing a bad main <laughs> accent thing in here. But a man named Houston or Houston, I'm not sure, brings this story of the latest visitation. This is 1938. On his way to a camp after a timber cruise around Chisuncock Lake, he came into an open bog 30 acres across where 16 moose were feeding. That would scare the shit out of me right yeah, off the bat. That, yeah, that's creepy because they're they're frightening looking regular. Are they? Are I've never actually looking. seen yeah. one of oh, you. They're really, yeah, they're giant and like they look primordial. Right. Well, that's interesting too because there's a great thing a guy describes them as being prehistoric in appearance. Yeah. One guy who cited it. And they are. They're, 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 they look like a throwback to the early age of mammals or something. Totally. Uh, he said that with among them now were three big bulls. He almost had the ague when he saw two of them were like pygmies <laughs> compared to the third, the ague. I guess he started shaking. The monarch of the herd, <laughs> the he declared ague. it was a monster. Beside the spectral coloration, there were antlers again, 20 points on one side, 21 on the other. Do you know what that means? The just points? I yeah, just, yeah, I know what it, it basically just means gigantic <laughs> antlers with with many like um sort of I guess I just think of them as like a sort of tree tree appendages yeah, yeah. on them. So I guess the points is some kind of measurement. They're like, I don't know, like 10 feet or something like that. And at least 18 inches wide in the velvet, which I'm not sure what that in means. I'm velvet. like, is that the do you think the velvet is the area between them? Between the I thought antlers? the velvet was I thought the velvet was just like um the coating on the this shows you I'm not up on my moose biology, but I thought the velvet was like that fuzzy coating that was on the antler and then they shed that. But I maybe, uh, that, but actually you raise an interesting point, which is that 
I, a few years ago, a friend of mine got me to take elk velvet, I think it was called. There's like a whole movement there to like ingest elk velvet because it's apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Is this in California? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was in California. Good, good elk guess. Elk velvet. Listen, it, it pepped me up. Let me tell you. It pepped me right up. <laughs> This continues, this giant moose or one of his progeny has been a wonder and a mystery of the Maine woods since the fall of 1901 when Mr. A.M. Uh, Cushing, a Boston sportsman, reported sighting him near the Chairback Mountains. That goes on. And years since, Gilman Brown of West Newbury, Mass., and Granville Gray, a Bangor taxidermist, which is oh, not a phrase yeah. I ever thought I'd hear, a Bangor taxidermist, have been among those who have shivered at the apparition in the dusk. They took pot shots at the monster, but he would vanish ahead of the bullets. One doubter up in St. John's Lake argued, it ain't no moose, but it is only an old gray horse that's broke loose from a logging camp and gone wild. <laughs> there you that's go. Me. There All you right, go. Thanks. I'm trying. <laughs> no horse stands 15 feet high, of course, and that's why the, quote, specter moose is still thrashing around in the woods. So that's that's the original wow. report about the specter moose from the New York Times. That's fantastic. But it does, in fact, stretch back a little further, Steve. My uh, my research found 1891 <laughs> is sort of the first uh, sighting of it when the guy described it as being of prehistoric proportions. Oh, uh, it continued on other sightings. 1900, fella named George Neeland. <laughs> I love this. Was right. 1900, he was riding his bicycle through the woods, <laughs> which just makes, I mean, the bicycle had to be a fairly new invention, right? Right. One of those so, giant wheels, yeah, like imagining, he's up high, right? Straight, like straight back, you know? I'm imagining he's on one of those things with the giant front wheel. He's got the little hat <laughs> with on. With a suit little, on. Yeah. He's got <laughs> with a suit, suit on. shoes on. And he's just biking through the woods. The fuck is he doing? Biking through the woods. George Nealon's biking through the, the woods. And he, uh, Sights one. He sights the specter moose. Scared him so much he climbed up a tree. Uh, <laughs> but the same year, you guys took shots at it to no avail. Uh, 1892. Uh. Big city New York City sportsman Howard Van Ness. Sounds like a New Yorker. He gets separated from his hunting companions, encounters the beast, said it looks like it weighed a ton. As tall as a camel, he said. Oh, my God. Which makes me go, as a camel, I would have thought they were kind of the same size. No? Or is a camel you measure it from the hump to the I tongs? don't think I've I've seen camels in the zoo, but I don't think I've seen them up close. So I don't know. Neither have I. But I mean, I guess maybe a camel's I'm gonna accept the authority of our New York uh, witness yeah, on this. Of how of Howie Van Ness absolutely shot at it to no avail, but it charged at him at a tremendous speed, at an unnatural speed, and it leapt over him and disappeared <laughs> into the woods. He said it looked like it weighed a ton, and I found out this fact that, you know, what they, what they estimated as in terms of its horns and its height, it would be 2,500 pounds. The state oh record, God. Steve, note this well, 1982, the biggest bull male moose ever captured weighed 1,700 pounds. Holy but according shit. to some of these sightings, it glows faintly. And oh. it can disappear, and it can walk Hound through solid objects. Uh, it's yeah. like a Hound of the Baskervilles vibe right? to it. It has yeah. a kind of ghostly vibe to it. Here's a good one. This was, this was probably my favorite sighting. After 1917, nothing really happens much. Till the 30s, people start sighting it again quite a bit. We're, I'm going to take you now to the scene of the Maluncus Stream, which I'm not sure what that is. The Maluncus <laughs> Stream. We got a party of hunters who kill this giant white moose. They kill oh, it. Oh, really? Oh. They take it, they slit its throat, 
and they hang it from a tree, which I'm not a hunting man, but I gather that's to kind of let it to drain, bleed it out, I guess, yeah. the blood yeah. and stuff. Although that's hard to do with a moose. Right, big tree. So they hang it from a tree uh, with an eye towards skinning and dressing it the next day. They wake up the next day, the moose is gone. Oh, really? That night, a giant white moose wanders into camp. A giant white moose, Steve, with its throat cut. Oh, oh walks you can't the kill camp. the specter moose. <laughs> you cannot Imagine this kill fucking him. moose. White moose comes in slathered in blood. Holy fuck. They shoot it. It goes down. They kill it again, seemingly. They go to check it out. It gets up and runs at an unnatural oh speed. Oh, my God. Back that sounds fantastic. Isn't that fucking great? But just yeah. the idea, this white moose all covered in blood and shit. Terrifying. But here's what's really weird. Shortly thereafter, Ashland, Maine, Bert Peggins, good old Bert Peggins. I love Are you all making these names, these names up? <laughs> no, I'm not making them up, man. This is this is cold hard fact, Stan. <laughs> Let's hear what Peggins says. He encounters in the woods a colossal white moose with its throat cut. Come on. Shoots at it. No dice. Doesn't go down. He runs into the house. The moose. This is my favorite. The moose then proceeds to pick up the gun with its teeth. <laughs> and fires the gun with its mouth <laughs> and then splits. What the fuck? I don't know, man. I do That's not great. know. Uh, let me see. There's some other. Here's another weird story. Do you mind? Is this all right? I'm just, I'm just giving you no, stories. No, I just, I want to just bracket out Peggins here though, because that, yeah. that strains credulity. Peggins sounds like he's been drinking. Uh, I, it, was, it, was, been my, it was my immediate thought was that Peggins had been dipping into the old. Uh, yeah, he'd been a little bit, a little bathtub gin for Burt Peggins there. Something. It's a really strange detail. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> this is an even weirder one. Harry Porter, these names. He's on his horse in the woods with his girlfriend. Okay. The horse, the horse dies. I don't know why. The horse dies. The moose appears and carries Harry and his girlfriend back to safety in town. Oh, so like he wasn't uh, in this case a threat, Always but a malevolent. Of some he wasn't. Kind. Well, I don't know if he was ever malevolent. It's just oh, that you know you're people right. were shooting at him and stuff people like were that. Shooting and cutting yeah, his throat. People were fucking what shooting fuck? him and cutting his throat. I mean, you know, it's like yeah, he's gonna piss he's him off. He's just trying to get along. What exactly? The hell? But I'm wondering here: is it like does the moose pick them up with his teeth? And like carry them out, or does he like kneel down and they climb on yes, his back? He and kneels go, down, nudges uh -huh. his head underneath them, uh -huh. and then in a regal motion lifts them and beautiful, them. <laughs> beautiful. It's like a fairy tale. Uh, it, it was super interesting to me. I and, and I discovered that as as recently as 2013, 2020. Oh no, wait a minute. Actually, before that, the most recent sighting of it, Franklin, Maine, 2002. It is definitely ominous in this case. The owner of, I don't know if it's the only restaurant in town or a restaurant in town, spots the specter moose. And days later, the restaurant burns down. And oh. so it's seen as an ominous thing to maybe see the specter moose. Oh, um, bad juju, basically. Like bad you don't juju. wanna, yeah. So one of the things that, what was interesting to me about this that made me start thinking about, because one thing that was emphasized throughout this thing was that it's not an albino moose. Okay, that was going to be my first question, because it sounds like, because there are these albino uh, deer, moose, other animals, yeah. Correct. It's not an albino. It's, I, I think it suffers from something, suffers. It has something called leucism, L-E-U-C-I-S-M, I think, oh. which is some sort of condition that makes the, the, the hair white. But the oh. eyes are not pink. The eyes are the color that the animal's eyes would be. So, hmm. like, this specter moose has brown eyes. It doesn't have pink eyes. 
it's got uh-huh. brown eyes, um, which I thought was interesting. So but, you think it, okay, well, go ahead. If the specter moose exists, that's what it is. But there are these animals, and this is what I was going to say, 2013, 2020, uh, uh, 2020, a bunch of white moose, which are protected animals in Canada, and these are these non-albino moose, were okay. killed by hunters, and they're protected by First Nations oh, people I, up that there. that makes sense, yeah. It's part of the religious systems, yeah. And so they were killed, but these were these non-albino moose, but they're white moose. Um, but it is, it, and, and I, it, it reminded me of, in my childhood, a, a I had a mother who took us to completely to whatever movie was playing because she just liked to go to the movies. So we went to all kinds of inappropriate things, but also saw, I saw a lot of really trashy movies. And I can remember going and seeing a fantastic Charles Bronson film with my mother <laughs> called The White Buffalo, which is- You know, um, that sounds familiar. Oh boy, it is. I watched it a few years ago. It Does is, it hold uh, up? Oh, I mean, define hold up, Steve. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> Charles it, satisfies, it satisfies a certain something, you know, yes. if you watch it again. But it's remarkably, it's it's pretty low budge and crazy. But but it reminded me, right, the white buffalo and white animals are... Are s- sacred, yes, oftentimes. And are seen as sort of portents. The white buffalo in particular, among different Native American peoples, is seen as this kind of uh, omen of a time needing people to come together because there's something sort of ominous going on. So people need to get together again. Oh. need to sort of gather strength to deal with, with what's going on. And this, these moose are held sacred by First Nations people in Canada. But it, they're not the specter moose. The specter moose is its own, is its own thing out there in the world. What if the... Uh you know, the, the Westerners who, who sort of set, settled um, Maine and sort of New England in general, like they don't know these, uh, the traditions of the Native Americans. Right. And sure. maybe they've spotted something that is yep. natural, but they've then layered on all this sort of spooky quality. That's to interesting. It. That makes sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. When you were a kid growing up, yeah. Did you hear about that? Because I've never heard about the spectral moose. I feel I mean, like I've heard things about freakish moose, like giant moose, and I and and I definitely had heard the thing about um, white white moose sort of being sacred, but I'd not heard about. And when and and what is kind of cool about this story that I do like is it has a weird overlap into the supernatural, which I suppose you could say yeah. all these things do in some way. I mean, you tell me whether it's like. In some sense, they're all a little bit supernatural until they're yeah, either proven like to it. exist or not, right? That's but true. this has this kind of ghostly quality that he'll come back, he cut his throat, and he <laughs> yeah, fucking that's... comes back. You shoot him and he doesn't, you know, you'll leave your gun, he's going to fire at you with his mouth. You, you, your horse <laughs> dies, he's going to pick you up. You're, you're on a bike, he's going to fucking show up. <laughs> there's, you know, there's, a, a slight, there's a bad play quality that's happening, I think, <laughs> at some point. Yeah. He can shoot with, with his mouth. and yeah. But there is a famous uh, Jefferson described, Thomas Jefferson described the moose 
And a very famous French naturalist named Buffon, Georges Leclerc Buffon, who was like the most Mm. famous um, biologist in France at the time, Uh contemporaneous with uh, Jefferson. Uh Buffon said, I don't believe you. This fucking thing cannot possibly exist. And he was just describing the regular moose. moose. Yeah, just the moose. Yeah. Yeah. So he sent him paintings of it, and Buffon's like, no way. Come on, that's crazy. And I think he actually. He either shot, they either shot a moose and sent it, or they sent a live moose to try to persuade right. Buffon in <laughs> Paris kind of that this was a, a real live animal. moose that just, I, I hope so too. I'm hoping it was just a fucking live moose that just barreled out of a box in <laughs> yeah, Paris. Just, how you like me now, motherfucker? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my stars, Steve. My stars and stripes. We have some exciting news. Shall we tell them? We should reveal that Chinwag is hitting the road again and going on a West Coast tour. Yes, that's right. If you missed us in your fair city, truly, friends, don't fret, don't fear, don't have a panic attack. (laughs) Do not panic. We will be recording live Chinwags in May in Los Angeles, Portland, and Seattle. Yes, in L.A. we'll be at Dynasty Typewriter on May 14th. You can go to chinwagpod.fm slash Los Angeles for tickets. And on May 16th, we're going to be in Portland at Revolution Hall. For those tickets, go to chinwag.fm slash Portland. And we'll be at Town Hall, the great town hall in Seattle on May 17th. For tickets to that, go to chinwagpod.fm slash Seattle. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mighty, mighty so get your tickets at chinwagpod.fm and we will see you there. Come on out, waggers. Come out, waggers. Come out. <laughs> Come out of hiding. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. I'm going to turn you on to a creature here. Mm. This is my cryptid. This is the Big Muddy Monster of Murfreesboro, Illinois. Awesome. And uh, this creature uh, basically shows up starting in 1973 uh-huh. and is continually seen on and off until 1976 and then has been sort of quiet ever since. But like you, I found some archives and I actually went to the police department uh, website in Murfreesboro, Illinois, and I have the fucking police report. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And it's pretty funny. Oh, my God. I'm going to talk you through this. I've got maybe three or four of these. I'll just summarize and quote uh, where I can. But the first uh, event occurred June 25th, 1973, and the police report says, uh, it's approximately 2,300 hours, uh, the complainant, (laughs) one Randy Needman, (laughs) who's 19, I keep bear that in mind. Um, the complainant came to the de- uh, police department and reported sighting some type of creature in the wooded area north of the Big Muddy River next to the boat ramp parking area. Officers Nash and Lindsay were dispatched to the area. 
The complainant was parked on the south side of the parking area next to the woods. Complainant heard a loud screaming sound in the wooded area and observed a large creature approximately seven feet tall. The creature appeared to have light-colored hair matted with mud. The creature appeared to be walking on two legs and was proceeding toward his car. The creature continued the screaming, changing tones, and proceeding toward the car. Complainant then left the area and came to the police department. <laughs> and then it says, "I love that. Is I a, love that dry a, cop talk stuff yeah, too." Awesome. Complainant left the area. And of course, when I'm reading this, I'm like, "Why is our man Randy Needham out there in his car?" And then, of course, the very next line is, "A Judy Johnson, who was also inside the car, Judy. stated that she heard the screaming but was unable to see the creature due to darkness." Complainant and Johnson also stated that no human could be able to scream or make a noise as loud as what they heard. Officers located impressions of the mud approximately three to four inches deep, approximately 10 to 12 inches long, and approximately three inches wide. So they went there and they found tracks of some kind. Yeah. And then the very next night, um, they get a phone call from Mrs. Harry... Ray stating that her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend had just seen a large creature in the field behind their residence. Uh-huh. Officers Nash and Manwaring were dispatched to the scene. Nash is back. Nash is on top of <laughs> Nash, Nash is Nash. our Murfreesboro monster the guy. There's there's probably a two cops. I'll in handle this. Whole this. I'll reach. handle this. Let me uh, let me go. Let Let's Nash get Officer go. Nash. <laughs> yeah. I swear to, this thing would make a great movie. I would love yes. to friggin'. We should try to possibly figure our, out. Should who we would pitch play. our Murfreesboro monster yeah. picture? I'm, to, I'm okay. gonna picture you as Nash through this oh, whole thing. I like that part. Um, Upon her uh, arrival, officers were met by Cheryl A. Ray and Randy Creeth, uh, which gave the <laughs> account of what occurred. Randy and Cheryl were sitting on the patio talking when they observed something sure moving around. Yeah, sure they were. <laughs> so it was something moving around a patch of small trees in the field behind 37 Westwood Lane. Both Randy and Cheryl watched and observed a large creature watch, uh, walk out of the patch of trees near the edge of the yard and then turn around and walk back into the field. Mm. The creature was described as seven to eight feet tall, weighing 300 to 350 pounds, mm. pale, dirty white or cream colored, and standing oh. on two feet, huh. and also having a very strong musky odor to it. Right. Classic. That, right? That's classic, isn't it? That's a classic. The smell, right? Of the sort of, that sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Then they yeah. bring the dog, the hunting dog, okay. and and the dog chases it down. They can't find it, but comes across a slime substance oh. uh, on the weeds. <laughs> this sounds like such a B movie. The slime appeared periodically. <laughs> As the dog tracked the creature. What? Nellis put some of the slime between his fingers, rubbed it, and it left a black coloring on his fingers. You sure did. I bet it did. You think this is the Murfreesboro monster spore? You think this is, it's like, it's poop? Is that what's going on? Weird. I don't, I I can't venture, you know, I, here's the thing. I don't go beyond the evidence. I stay with the data. Oh, okay. Sorry, Here you are speculating about what the slime could be. Okay. (laughs) You're right. All right. Sorry. Wow. Dressed down. (laughs) Okay. That's a sci-fi touch. That's a weird kind of like. It really is. Yeah, that's weird. Okay. I was I was uh, along for the ride until the slime appeared, and now can I'm I like, ask I one question know. before we yeah. proceeding? Is it hairy or is it like it, yes. it's hairy? Okay, it's hairy. Um, one of the descriptions, maybe not the one I've been reading. Well, there's a lot of data at the uh, at the uh, police <laughs> archives. It is hairy, so it looks like a Bigfoot, but it's white except yeah. it's caked with mu- dirt and it's just really muddy. Interesting. 
And uh, then a month later, uh, this this one's great. There's a there's a carnival there in Murfreesboro, the Miller Carnival, run by a guy named Miller, <laughs> and he claims that th- four of his workers saw the creature. the The ponies of the carnival were getting riled up. So <laughs> that four workers went to see what was going on, and the creature was standing there examining the ponies just oh. trying to understand what they were. Oh, my God. And they freaked out, and it ran off. And then this oh guy, Miller, God. says, well, I didn't want to say anything because that would keep people away from my carnival. <laughs> <laughs> from my sketchy carnival. That's a, wow. Wait a minute. That's a scene in a movie. And frankly, yes. I want to play Miller. I want to play Miller the carny. I want to play the fucking carny who's got, wow. So they saw the thing standing there kind of, wow, gentle giant yeah. kind of petting the, yeah. the ponies. Yeah, not hostile, but just sort of trying to understand the creatures before it, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. It's touching. Giant. It's a kind it's of t- Frankenstein, like the little girl with the, wow, That's just sort of touching. Wow. Yeah. I love it. Right. I mean, okay. And uh, and then we jump ahead to 1976. Now here, the muddy monster has become, I believe, a trope, and we need to be suspicious because mm-hmm. now- People are calling up and saying, I've seen, you know, the big muddy monster. It actually has a name. And I think there are people are doing drawings and so forth. And it's kind of part of the local lore. But this one was kind of fun because these kids saw it. I'll read you one uh, description by Ricky Kells, age okay. 10. Ricky. Uh, little Ricky Kells. Little, little Ricky <laughs> Kells stated that he, David Taylor and Russell Ward, were playing wiffle ball when uh, he went to look for the foul ball that was hit between two houses. As he was walking down the hill, he observed a large creature, approximately seven to eight feet tall, standing next to the woods. Ricky hollered at David and Russell, and they also observed it. We then ran home to tell our parents. Ricky described it as being eight to, you know, seven to eight. Mm-hmm. Large ears this time, gray in oh. color, um, covered in hair. And then large as it ran ears. away, it made a large thumping noise as it walked away. Now, I'm thinking maybe this is hoax, you know. You think? This, this guy's <laughs> Ricky Kells. <laughs> you think Ricky Kells hoaxed it or somebody's dressing up? I think Ricky Kells and his three uh, compatriots uh, <laughs> may have, like, drummed this up based on what they By knew the way, about. Ricky, Kel- Ricky Kells, if you're listening right now, Ricky, Yeah, right Ricky, in. you're probably 60 know. years old now. This is like, probably. Uh, yeah. you know. It's time yeah. to come clean. If really, you're the, Ricky, if, if you're here, if you hear this, Ricky, step forward. Let us please know step forward happened. and let yeah. let Chinway get the scoop. But you're thinking it's a guy in a costume too, maybe. I think that maybe the first one might have been a guy in a costume, scarier friends making out in the car. Uh, but then it's weird that the other ones, and I'm leaving a few of them out. Like there is a kind of rapid, you know, uh, observation of this thing, kind of too yeah. fast for it to have been like absorbed by newspaper stories and so forth. Like mm-hmm. it just seems sort of. I'm very open to the idea of an undescribed cryptid primate of some co- uh-huh. kind. So uh-huh. I'm to- I'm totally open to that. Not that this is it, but but let me read to you the last thing I want to share with you. Two hilarious letters, both short. Okay. One on University of Chicago letterhead. Oh, writ- written by Lee Van Valen, associate professor. He writes <laughs> okay. to the police chief, uh, Murfreesboro. Uh, Dear Mr. Berger, I have recently heard of your creature, which could be of considerable scientific interest. There have been many reports of such animals and no real specimens have ever been available for scientific study. If the creature is shot, it is important that it not be buried, unless it is a man, of course, discarded or 
<laughs> or given to sensation seekers. It should be embalmed or otherwise preserved in good condition. It would be preferable for the undertaker to ship it to me or some other reputable scientist because its study <laughs> will need laboratory equipment and other materials. But if this cannot be done, I will yeah. come myself and arrange matters. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And he's guaranteed payment for any such expenses. Signed, yours, Lee Van Valen. Amazing. Is that hilarious? Good old Lee Van Valen. I love that it's like, unless you accidentally shot a person. <laughs> right, then bury it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anything to do with it if you actually kill somebody. But it's <laughs> really funny. I wash okay. my hands of it. <laughs> it's really, that's but I love the way he's like, let me, I need to write to these bumpkins down south and let them totally. know how to handle this cryptid. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny okay this is the last thing i want to share with you which is but this is the gold look at i don't our readers or our listeners can't see this but the writing is a child's oh, yes, writing yes I can he see writes it, yeah. a letter and the letter says dear sir he's written to the police department so it said the archive we read in the fresno b about your monster so this thing made the the rounds oh. to the national newspapers at the sure. time in 73 he says my mom can catch it she is good too Please let her try. She loves big adventure like this one. Write her. She is my mom, and I know how good she is. <laughs> then he says, her name is Georgia Supnit, and then he, he gives the address, and uh -huh. then he closes with, where there is terror, she loves to solve, and she is good with guns and knives also. <laughs> wow! Oh, my God. What's the kid's Isn't name? Do we know? He, it's not signed. It's like oh. the mom's name and address is there, but the kid doesn't sign it. It's Oh, gold. my God. That's genius. Isn't that hilarious? Holy cow. Probably like good eight with years guns old or something. Yeah. Good with guns and <laughs> knives. Wow. That sounds like a good mother. God. Are you open to the reality of the Big Muddy, or are you going to be skeptic on this one? <clears throat> I mean, I'm open to the... I'm open to the reality i mean it's funny yeah i mean you know me it's like i i can go into like real weird territory where i'm like it's interdimensional and i'll buy right. that almost more than i'll be like it's a it's a it's a race of monkeys we haven't discovered yet for some reason i'll buy the more batshit thing than, than actually, the biology version yeah than the biological explanation i mean sure i'm open to it it seems to me though like i don't know man in america where everybody it's just really do you think that there could be some like where do they, they live in underground where are they living it's like well this is very close to the shawnee national forest which is a gigantic many miles forest oh, that okay and so it's possible that yeah. they could be living in these thickly forested areas like in maine like there's th what how many kinds of moose how many moose did you say live in maine like 30,000 30, i think that's yeah. crazy it is, and but then, but then, really, relative to how much land there is and how thickly forested a lot of it is, it's probably like, hey, it's not like you see a moose every two seconds, right? So it's like that's. A, I mean, yeah, I suppose you know, sure, I'm totally open to it. It's just, I don't know, something about that one, and yet, why am I? I mean, I'm I'm perfectly willing to believe in a fucking lake monster or something because I'm like, well, it's down there, you can't see it. I don't know, some reason that sort of. The sort of forest ape thing. I don't know. I'm like, there's only like six of them. How many are there? Like, there can't be very many of them. Right. You'd have to have you know? like, they'd have to be able to interbreed uh, and yeah. reproduce unless they live really long lifespans. So yeah, you'd have to have a large population, maybe 30 to 50 of them. Yeah. But if 30,000 moose can live in Maine, maybe our our friends, the, the muddy the, river. The big muddy. 
I, that was an interesting money. thing. By the way, you, you reminded me of one thing, though, that was interesting, the color of it being so unusual. And actually, I forgot to add about I'm going back going back to the old Moxie, those Spectre Moose, which oh, is one of the explanations of that is that it's infested with winter ticks, which apparently would give it the appearance of like a more pale color. A, a oh, normal really? moose can be infested with these kinds of ticks, which might explain why my, my, my beard is white as well. Uh, <laughs> I might be infested with winter ticks. I think that's simply all it's it is. Not it's, not it's not age. It's not age. No, it's not because I'm old. It's because I'm infested with winter ticks. I'm going to move a little closer to home for me. This, this one's very close to my heart, Steve. Oh, let's hear it. Uh, you may know this. I don't know if our listeners know this, but I am a native of the nutmeg state, Steve. Which the would be Connecticut, the great ah. state of Connecticut, Connecticut. Yes, <laughs> the great, the, the mighty state of Connecticut, Steve. That's where I'm from. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. And so I thought I'm going to go for the Connecticut cryptid. Which also sounded really interesting because I was like, I, and I thought to myself, I don't remember ever hearing about this. As a kid, you didn't hear about this? No, of course, I'm talking about the Connecticut Melonheads, Steve. Uh, the Melonheads. The Melonheads. The legendary Melonheads of Connecticut. Now, it, they're not seen just in Connecticut, these things. They're also seen in Ohio and Michigan, but basically it really centers around Connecticut and it really centers around the part of Connecticut I'm from which is sort of Fairfield County, New Haven County is kind of Southwest, South Central Connecticut. I'm not familiar with the melon heads. But I wasn't either, but as will unfold, I discovered that I was more than I thought I was. Uh -huh. And what's interesting, what also made me interested in this is that they are humans. They're not humanoid. They're not like the big muddy. They don't, they're not like shaped like a man. They are, they are human uh -huh. beings. They're homo sapiens. Yeah, which is also, it gets to me, and this is something I'm going to want to talk to you about when I get through this, into territory more of urban legend or something. Okay. You know what I mean? Of kind of, because it really struck me as sounding like the kind of classic urban legends. These are creatures who are small with bulbous heads. These are humans. Small with bulbous heads, skinny, long fingers, bulbous eyes, big mouths filled with big, blocky, crooked teeth. Okay. <laughs> That's your that's your, your typical melon head, and as I say, they're seen in Michigan where they're called wobbleheads, and not oh, just really? called melon heads. Yep. And the whole thinking about this is that they one of the myth in and this is basic to a lot of it, as you'll see, basic to a lot of the stories about them. They are they started out as children suffering hydrocephalus, which is oh. was called water on the brain at one time. Oh it's yes, a buildup of cerebrospinal fluid in sort of the, 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 the brain cavity, and it gives you an enlarged head and it puts a lot of pressure on the brain. It's treatable now, but, it was, but it's, a, it, it's that condition. And in, in the instance of, in Michigan, they, they apparently they escaped from an insane asylum is one of the <laughs> stories. And of course, in, in, in the story that, that they go into in Michigan, it's, a, it's an insane asylum that apparently doesn't even exist. Or they were released Accidentally, you know, somebody let them out and they go into oh, the woods. Classic. Great. Uh, and there's a great story about how uh, they escaped from a place called the Felt Mansion in Michigan, which was a kind of rich guy's mansion that turned into a parochial school. And then it became a kind of 
institution prison, and that apparently they escaped from there after murdering their doctor oh, and man, allegedly chopping chopping him up and hiding the pieces all over the hospital. <laughs> oh, because great. I guess they, they were children and they didn't know what else to do, so they chopped him up. And apparently it's still haunted. The hospital, you see you, this, this place, you see ghosts. You see a ghostly oh. reenactment of the murder of the doctor happening. Oh, really? So again, this one was interesting to me because it gets into territory that's very like spooky and it's weird because you're like it's, it's sort of like mutants like because they're they're humans but they're they're mutants of some kind well there there's that they're mutants but but they're they're human and there's a kind of tragic backstory in ohio for instance cleveland suburbs again children are being experimented on by a dr crow that's very specific <laughs> the one account i read dr crow spelled c-r-o-w different yeah. ways c-r-o-w-e K-R-O-H. Dr. Crow has them in an orphanage and he's experimenting on them. Yeah, he's and evil. This is how, yes, and this <laughs> is how they end up having conditions like hydrocephalus. Ah. And again, like the Michigan story, they escape. They burn the place down. They kill the doctor. They go into the forests. That's, that's sort of the general pattern of the story. But as I say, primarily, it's the great state of Connecticut, my home state, seen all over the state, but mostly in this area. And one of the things I loved about this too <laughs> is that Connecticut is, do you, you know that the concept of a liminal space? Oh yeah, in between two things. Yeah, liminal spaces. And liminal spaces, it's this concept that's become, it's kind of like hotel corridors or airports uh. or a bus station. It's kind of these like in between states where nobody really lives there and they're kind of transitional and they're a little creepy and haunted. Yeah, feeling. yeah. Connecticut's a fucking liminal space in the country. <laughs> the whole state is this spooky, weird place because it's a weird state, and it's like, and it's very rural, and it's more so than people realize. And uh -huh. it's it's a strange place, and it's transitional. Everybody's getting from New York to New England, and um, you got to pass through Connecticut. Sense. Yeah, it's not really New England. It's not really New York. What the fuck is it? What the fuck is Connecticut? <laughs> and I it's can a flyover say state on the east yeah, coast. <laughs> it's not even a flyover. You don't even bother fucking flying over it. You, you try to drive you train through. The, through. <laughs> yeah, you try to drive through it, and the traffic's fucking horrible on I-95. It's a horrible, it's a weird place. So that was part of what interested me about it. And also, it, it felt evocative of this fact that Connecticut is so weird to me in this uh -huh. way. So there's two versions to the Connecticut story. One is, again, there's an asylum built in the 1860s. In 1960, they escape from this place. They escape into the woods a small group of them, they start breeding, they inbreed, they begin to exhibit these uh, uh, physical anomalies, and they resort to cannibalism because they oh, have no, cool. so they're God, cannibals. It's, it's so all they're living in the woods and they're cannibals. <laughs> and there's variations on this, like, a, like any kind of fairy tale. They escape from a, an orphanage, a prison, an institution. Some versions, they escape from a camp, from a day camp. Yeah. And they're campers who escaped <laughs> and stuff like that. So there's all these different versions. Second version, Trumbull, Connecticut, which is near there, near New Haven. A Trumbull family accused of witchcraft in the 18th century is banished to the woods. There's oh. enough of them, they start inbreeding, and the same thing Former happens. witches. And they're like, so they were formerly witches and stuff like that. Well, the classic thing that I also discovered that I loved is a lot of these sightings in Connecticut happen in, oftentimes sort of in rural roads or sort of outlying roads in a lot of these okay. places. And here's something I didn't realize, and it's probably common all over the country, 
but that a lot of these kind of spooky drives where people see spooky things, there's a nickname applied to these things, Dracula Drive. I, I've oh, never heard of a, this. They, yeah, I have heard of that. Is that like a generic term for all yeah. these kinds of places? Yeah, and people call okay. it Dracula Drive. So a street, a given street will be called Dracula Drive because spooky shit happens there. Oh, I've okay. never heard this before. I've heard the phrase before. That now yeah. makes sense. Okay. I've never heard it. And in particular, there's a great incident that I read in Trumbull, Connecticut, on a road called Velvet Drive, which is already a fucking weird name as far <laughs> yeah, as I'm concerned. Yeah, let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's like a, like a fucking mashed up David Lynch movie, <laughs> Velvet Drive. I was like, that's kind of creepy. But, they, but in Trumbull, this was the Dracula Drive of Trumbull. And apparently uh -huh. a high school, group of high school kids, is 1983, are in their blue Ford Granada. And they're out <laughs> in the woods off of Dracula Drive. They're partying. They're out of the car. Somebody jumps in the car, starts the car up, lights turn on. They can see raggedy, strange figures with big heads in the car. And oh these guys God. drive at them in the car. They scatter the car that takes off. The car disappears. Whoa. It stole that's the great. car. But here's the really great thing is for years later, many years later, the sightings of the Melonheads on Dracula Drive and Trumple, they're driving around in a blue Ford Granada. <laughs> <laughs> they're still, they're still in the fucking blue foreground. <laughs> and so, like for decades afterwards, they're still in the blue Ford oh, Granada. It's fit that they're a living. Great in there. advertisement for Ford Granada. What a car! And so, it's a very interesting thing. It clusters around these sort of mental hospitals, which I remember these places, the Fairfield Hill Mental Hospital. Yeah, I remember a lot of these, these were place. closed. Um, yeah, yeah, it was defunct, defunct prisons. Supposedly, uh, there was a thing called the Nike Missile Site in Shelton, Connecticut. I didn't know that there was mm. a missile site in Connecticut, a silo that operated between 1957 and 1961. And then after that, when it was defunct for a while, now it's a park, they think these people were living there. People were citing them living there. And this is an interesting feature of this too. It's post-war, this thing. And it's very kind of Cold War. And your thing about mutants is interesting to me too. Yeah. Because it has this the, sort the of- nukes. Yeah, aura of these people kind of mutated and kind of... Yeah. So this was all very interesting to me because it was it was a trip down memory lane in some ways for me because I was like, boy, I I, I had no idea and, and Connecticut's such a weird place. And then I started reading about some offshoots of the Melon House. <laughs> <laughs> to wit, the frog people of Danbury. <laughs> it makes me laugh because I know Danbury. And I'm like, the, the frog, frog people. people. And this is, starts Danbury. in the 1950s. People talking about the frog people of Danbury, who is who are this, this family of people who they now speculate had something called Croizen syndrome, which is oh. where the plates of the skull don't fuse together correctly. Yes. So you have a kind of enlarged head with bulbous eyes, wide set eyes. And, and so that's why I guess they say frog people. And the faceless people of Monroe, Connecticut, another... <laughs> thing with people oh living Lord. in a rural area, Monroe, Connecticut, with a caretaker watching over them. They have vestigial eyes, like, like those blind fish, and no other features on their face. A little mouth. Holy shit. And it's this whole kind of creepy. And I started thinking, you know, I remember in Connecticut growing up, these stories of sort of like these enclaves and, and communities of these people. I can remember yeah. hearing stories like this and people escaping from institutions. So suddenly I thought, I never put it together with the melon heads before. Oh, but I suddenly thought, oh my God, this is this is the same thing. 
anyway, yeah. I found the whole thing interesting, and there's questions I want to ask you about it. To me, like I said, it's like urban legend. Like it's more yeah. like those urban legends than it is like Bigfoot. It's or a, something. Yeah, it's not a cryptid. It's urban legend. Yeah. Which is what's the difference? Well, I think yeah, th everything you're describing sounds like a uh, fascination that we had at this time with you know, like developmental and genetic anomalies, uh -huh. which if you remember, like there was the there, there was the phenomenon of um, thalidomide babies uh -huh. and these things that are, they're called teratogens. Yeah. Uh, they come from the, the Greek word teratos, which means monster. And so in biology, if you study certain sort of carcinogenic substances or like, um, you know, influences in the environment that can be bad for the mother while she's, you know, having the baby in utero, uh -huh. it can cause deformations or, uh -huh. you know, atypical bodies. Uh -huh. And there, it seems like there's a fascination with this stuff in the 50s, right. in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. 70s. And, and, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was a really interesting aspect of it too. It made sense that it doesn't, except for that one story about the witchcraft, it right. doesn't the go back Right, the rest of them, they're, victim, they're victims in a way, except yes. for that one. That's about, the other interesting yeah. thing about it is that yeah. they're always, they're, they're these people who've been wronged by society. Yeah. It made me think of how we talk about these things move through time and they'll change over time. So you have fairies are aliens. You know what I mean? It's like yep. the sort of archetypes of these things moving through time. Because what this made me think of was going back to, it made me think of something, the Sawney Bean family. Have you ever heard of Sawney Bean? <laughs> no. Sawney Bean is a legendary, I think he's legendary, 15th century Scottish cannibal. Oh my God. And he was, and, and he was a bit of a boogeyman figure, I think, in, in, in a way like an urban legend of the time, okay. that he lived with a band of people in these caves in the highlands, and they would waylay people, and they would kill them and eat them. Oh. And they were this sort of, and then it made me even think of like going further back to Greek mythology to Procrustes, yes. who was this he bandit would like who would- Chop people to, Who would chop people up and chop them to fit a bed or stretch yeah. or chop them and eat them and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like- it's an old Again, monster. Again, it's this, and what I started thinking was, right, this is interesting because it is this post-war era, people are beginning to suburbanize, you've got this burgeoning middle class, and it begins to seem like it's a story of fear of these kind of disenfranchised people, too. Yes, It's fear of the people, people being pushed to the margins, too. Yeah, It's fear of these sort of like marginalized people with no jobs, with mal yep. malnourished, with with poor education, with all this stuff, it's a really interesting thing. And then you're, it, you're sort occurs. of you're fascinated with them, but you're demonizing them too. Yes, like it's a little bit like the 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 kind of the Hicks in well, uh, Deliverance, like. It These is a guys, little bit like the story in yeah. Deliverance. Yeah, where and it becomes this kind of clash between these middle class guys who. Yeah. And it's this idea of like you don't know what you're fucking with too. Yeah. To go back right. to, to to go back to something that's supposedly primitive mm -hmm. and stuff. But really it's this, this fear yeah. of like of these marginalized other sort of, that's of really these people, which I thought was really interesting about it. And, <laughs> and in a... fact, I did read, sorry, in fact, I did read an interesting thing, which I don't really buy this. I really don't buy it, but there was apparently some article written about this. As an urban legend, treating it as an urban legend. And it was some fairly reputable folklorist, I guess, who was talking about in Appalachia, there is a, a, a group of people called the Melungians. 
I think. M-E-L-U-G-O-N-S. And it's apparently a fun, somewhat pejorative term that comes okay. out of the French for melange, meaning a mix. Oh. So it's these okay. people of mixed ethnicities and races that are very much sort of uh, isolated. It's an isolated group in Appalachia. And this person was speculating that Melungeon somehow led to Melonhead, which I don't oh. buy it. I don't yeah. buy it or anything. But I think it's interesting that the person's connecting yeah. it to this idea of, of, of these kind of the marginalized disenfranchised, marginalized yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff that's like a great. That. That's a great point. I mean, um, it was. It, it's common in what they call gothic horror to equate um, anyone that looks different or what you would ordinarily call ugly with something that's morally bad. So mm -hmm. like in all Dickens stories or in like any of the gothic horror, the, you know, the evildoer is also like the hunchback or, you yeah, know. Right. And, and of course- something, the, something quote unquote yeah, wrong some physical, with them. And it's yeah. like, yeah. And, but, but it made me think too of your definition of monster that you told mm. me a long time ago, which is, say, say that again, what your definition of monster is? Uh, I have a different one every few weeks, so oh, that thing, okay. maybe, right. maybe oh, I'm like, <laughs> you can't, uh, I think the monster is um, a, is someone that you can't negotiate with or reason with. That's it right. technically comes from the, group, from the Latin word monere, which means to warn. So monsters are warnings, uh -huh. um, but I think we use them in all these different ways. Sometimes it's a physical monster. Sometimes it's a moral monster. Um, a lot of times it's just the outsider, like yep. you're saying, that then yep. gets sort of demonized. And it's what you fear yeah. and can't explain and things like that. When yeah. I was in, uh, when I was living in Shanghai, this was uh, when my son was five. So this is like 15 years ago. Now China's very different, but we used to walk through this park every day to get him to school. It was he and I, and every day there was this woman there and her family would put her there. She was begging and she had hydrocephaly and her mm -hmm. head was the size of a, like a beach ball. It was mm -hmm. massive. It was huge. And they had built a wooden frame that was on the ground wow. and it held oh, her head Jesus up because Christ. it would it would break her neck. Her head was Ugh. so big. She was super friendly and but she yeah. you know the speech wasn't that there and sure. Um, but my son was fascinated. He was like, mm. "Are we going to see the big head lady mm. again today?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then we would give her some money and and it was like he watched me to see if I was afraid of her yeah. and I wasn't afraid of her and so he right. wasn't going to be afraid of her. And it's yeah. like we're all human beings are always in this like relationship with anything that's different or stands yeah. out. But always, you know, they, in, always, in China, constantly. you could easily, they could have just put a shunt in her head and solved this problem when she was yeah. a baby. But yeah. this was at a time, she was probably out in the, the hinterlands in a village and they couldn't yeah. do that. They didn't know to do that procedure. Exactly. And now we don't see this in, in the developed world. We don't see this kind of thing, but you do still yeah. see it in the developing world. Fascinating. Well, that was quite something. That was truly a chin wag for me for the ages, Steve. Yeah, for me too. Like I, I have a special place in my heart. Uh, given all the crazy topics we cover, I have to say cryptozoology is very near and dear to me. I and now it. I see. It now it is. Oh, it has very been for near me too. To it absolutely is. That was interesting. No, it was. It was fantastic. That was. Uh, that was highly enjoyable. I hope that uh, all of you out there listening in Radio Land. <laughs> I uh, enjoyed it too. Uh, stayed and, with us. Yes, yeah, stayed with us. Uh, and as always, please uh, journey over to uh, various uh, platforms. Apple, uh, uh, yeah. Apple Podcasts and mm -hmm. rate us. And leave uh, reviews, questions. 
and Onyx. check out our animations. They they pop up all over on social media by That's the right. great Alex Sokol. Great Alex And they're Sokol. really fun. Yep. Well, this was terrific. Uh, wag on weirdos. Wag on. Chinwag is a production of Treefort Media and Touchy Feely Films. Hosted and executive produced by Paul Giamatti and Stephen Asma. Executive producers for Treefort are Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman. Dan Carey is executive producer for Touchy Feely. Our series producer is Rachel Whitley Bernstein. Original theme music by Luke Topp with additional music by Via Mardot. Oscar Guido is our executive in charge of production. Tom Monahan is head of audio for Treefort. Animation created by Alex Sokol. Editing and mixing by Jeff Neal. Lastly, for more information, go to chinwagpod.fm and find us on Instagram or TikTok at chinwagpod or on Twitter at chinwag underscore pod. <laughs>